Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. A totally from Wesley, and that is our discussion of 2013's Brad Pitt's Sir Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave. Thank you for listening, (laughs) and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Notice I didn't venture a good from Iris. Why not? I don't know. You have your own mind. I'm not going to speak for you. Did you not notice my extremely low energy entering into this episode? Uh, Are you dreading it? I'm like, come on, Wes. We're going to go from leaving Las Vegas to 12 years a slave? Jeez. So I'm putting myself in the unenviable position of now defending myself for this movie because after leaving Las Vegas, I couldn't even get Kelly Ray to watch this one. Watching 12 Years a Slave is like, okay, this is real tragedy. Like, leaving Las Vegas is is a pretty big bummer, but it's kind of like this white people privileged bummer. <laughs> Have the money to drink yourself to death in, like, one of the most One of the most debaucherous, like, yes, glitteriest places in the world. Like, did Nicolas Cage's Benjamin really have it that bad? <laughs> I guess not. It was all under his own terms, right? He wasn't oppressed by anyone except the dude in the bar that headbutted him. Right. And so talk about perseverance and having hope. I mean, Chiwetel Ejiofor, did I get that right? His Solomon Northup, I mean, wow. Talk about maintaining hope. What, you mean the role he didn't win Best Actor for? Yeah, kind of a shame. And I know that Lupita Nyong'o, did I get that right? As far as I'm aware. Won. And I'm glad that Michael Fassbender didn't win. Not that his Edward Epps performance didn't deserve it. It's just it would have been really weird if Michael Fassbender won and Chiwetel Ejiofor did Maybe. I guess that's a fair point. It's interesting because in order to process this movie in an I like this movie, I don't like this movie kind of way, you kind of have to look at it from a Hollywood perspective. We're talking about the actors. We're talking about performances and awards recognition, right? I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. have to distance yourself because who likes the theme and it's like watch enjoying watching Patsy get whipped in 12 Years a Slave. I think this movie is a great example of something that stands apart from the actual content of the story. Not that there's a tremendous amount about the making of this movie that's, that's made headlines or whatever, but you have to distance yourself from it in such a way as to say this is a thing that's put there for enjoyment. Do you think it matters that most of the principles involved uh, in this movie were British? Steve McQueen, Sir Steve McQueen, knighted this year, as a matter of fact, in early 2022. Lupita Nyong'o, Michael Fassbender, Chiwetel Ejiofor, even Benedict Cumberbatch. There were some Americans, but by and large, this story told of oppression and uh, restriction of freedom for one Solomon Northup were all not American 
does there have to be legitimacy or accountability kind of or, or do we have to be removed from that in order to move forward with a with a, an audacious picture like this i don't think it's necessary to have that layer of removal i think that i think the question is how does the fact that these are not americans affect the performance i mean it seems like maybe the actors themselves needed that distance and that objectivity, I do think it's interesting to note, and I'm sure this is factually correct, that Brad Pitt's character, Brad Pitt, who is American, plays a Canadian. Bass. And it's a Canadian who kind of, you know, is the white savior in this movie, so to speak. Yeah, the worst role in this movie, I think. Yeah, it really is the weakest in a lot of ways. And it's not surprising that Brad Pitt would want this kind of heroic role, but it's not the best performance no, it doesn't make sense after Epps's suspicion of Platt or Solomon, after he after the amazing Garrett Dillhunt uh, really screws up his opportunity to get a letter out. Thankfully, Epps didn't Awful. know the content of the letter. But why would he let Solomon work alone with a known sympathizer like Bass, who has no problem telling him that he's evil for his for his uh, how how he keeps his slaves. Exactly, especially after they have their confrontation, Epps and Bass. Right. So whatever, uh, it works well for Brad Pitt. He was criticized for taking that role upon himself. But to be frank, like taking this movie out of its, you know, out of its thematic context, it's true. Knowing that Brad Pitt is in the movie helps it get made, helps it get sold. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was in Italy that the poster, the primary poster for 12 Years a Slave, featured Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt and not Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like, that's wow. weird, right? And they were like, hey, what's up with that? That's not right. And Italy was like, whoever the representatives were, said, well, Brad Pitt is more known in Italy than Chiwetel Ejiofor. So it comes down to that. I don't know if there's deeper sure. meaning. I, I don't really, like, I'm not pointing any fingers or whatever. But I do want to make sure that I correct to say that, you know, a lot of these people are British. But Lupita Nyong'o was born in Mexico and is from Kenya and not is not British. I'm aware that Michael Fassbender is, in fact, Irish. So representation is important or whatever. I'm just saying that the way this movie is perceived is kind of as telling as anything uh, about the movie itself, you know, in a different uh, internationally and, and how we as Americans, where the depictions of slavery actually took place, they filmed the movie on a plantation, on a slaver plantation. Mm. It's very interesting to examine. Yeah, I guess it's also important to note that in 2013, a lot of these actors weren't the stars that they are today. Lupita Nyong'o didn't even have an agent when she uh, auditioned for Patsy. Right. Now she's an Academy Award winning actor who... Because of it. Right. And has gone on to additional acclaim. Nothing big, though. Only Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, also in watching watching this 2013 movie in 2022, I was like, whoa. The stars just keep coming. Benedict Cumberbatch is huge. Yeah. Even Paul Giamatti's in there. Boy, reprehensible. You remember when he said, uh, you know, who, who was what was your former master's name? And he said, uh, master name Freeman. I thought that was a joke. Like, I thought that because he, he's a free man and that was who his master was before, right? Uh, like a little thing that he said, but that was Paul Giamatti's name. But the, the traitor was Freeman, which is ironic. Who was horrible. Very very ironic. If there's anybody who, who was, was horrible, horrible next to Epps, right, it would have been Freeman. Would you say that Epps is the most reprehensible character? Oh, absolutely. 
because Freeman was all his his sympathy extends the length of a coin. That's really it. Epps was downright sadistic. You know, there these characters, the white slavers are are oftentimes sadistic. And does that make us kind of masochistic to watch this film? I don't know. I don't know. So I'll go on record saying that I love this movie and was excited to talk about it. And I'm trying to pin down why that love, if that love, I'm sure it is because I feel good about it. I just don't know why, how to justify that love to a listening public. Uh, I think Neil Brennan said it best in his three Mike special. He said, let's play, uh, but you know, sounds racist, isn't racist. There's a lot of good slave movies out, you know, these days. And, uh, <laughs> you can't oh. you can't enjoy this movie. <laughs> well, I wonder because there are lots of movies like American History X, which was about neo Nazis, right? Do neo Nazis watch that movie and they love the Nazi parts, but then they don't care about the ending? Like, do I guess there are mobsters who love Goodfellas, even though the whole thing is about taking down an aspect of the mob. They love the mobster parts. Maybe neo Nazis love the Nazi parts of American History X, and maybe racists love the Epps parts of 12 Years a Slave. Although I cannot, I, I just, I can't imagine a world where that's a thing. Does that contribute to sales? <laughs> so, that's so bizarre to think. But it's very, very dark. And I think that it's risk-taking for good-looking white boy Brad Pitt from Thelma and Louise fame or whatever originally to hold an Oscar for his plan B producing 12 Years a Slave. Like, this is risk-taking filmmaking even you know oh yeah it's by a black filmmaker but he's british and 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 you know maybe it's it's a, a lack of accountability in that respect but to make this movie for plan b to make moonlight is saying we want to these are amazing stories that we feel deserve to be told has nothing whatsoever to do i don't think i mean all movies are about money because you don't want to lose money in telling a good story but it's a risk a big risk and one i think that's admirable and just one in terms of enjoyment on, I think, a film watching level as opposed to an emotionally engaging, satisfying experience. Not satisfying, but I was hugely satisfied when I saw this movie in theaters. And why is that? Because you were moved? I saw this before it was a thing. I'm actually kind of proud of that I, I saw this movie and pinned it as the best picture almost right off the bat. So the story goes, 2013, uh, our buddy Eric and I were in Telluride and saw this little nothing movie. And we went primarily because Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, Brad Pitt were going to be in a Q&A for a movie called 12 Years a Slave. Okay, let's go. And I was blown away in the theater. I had already seen Gravity. And Eric's like, well, Gravity's also a big contender. As a matter of fact, Gravity finished in a tie, which almost never happens, at the DGA Awards 2013 with 12 Years a Slave. Much like question of which of those would come out ahead as a Best Picture frontrunner, they were both nominated. And I was like, no way. 12 Years a Slave blows it away. And so we watched the movie and we're walking out of the Werner Herzog Theater at the south end of town. And I'm walking next to Steve McQueen and Dita Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner, having just heard them in the Q&A, and we're walking in the twilight, and I'm trying to muster the courage of saying, I'm a nothing producer, but I understand, I think, and respect and admire what you do, and I want to be a part of it. Like, not money or anything like that. Like, I just want to be a part of this world. And that was the time when I could have said it. 
before it won Best Picture and all this acclaim. And people ask me sometimes, so what's, what's good coming out? And I'm like, oh, there's a movie called, you haven't heard of Avatar? It's going to change the way movies are made at the end of the year. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And I did the same thing here. Watch for a movie called 12 Years a Slave because it's going to blow everybody away and it's going to win Best Picture. But I didn't say it to Dee Dee Gardner and Jeremy Clanner. I didn't say anything to Steve McQueen. We just walked in the twilight to our next movie or to sushi or whatever we were going to do after that. And I regret that. Is this like your great, this is your, this is your great regret? Yeah, there are a few of them and I can point to them in my professional career in, I guess, the entertainment industry. And then they won Best Picture. And then a few years uh, later, they won for Moonlight. And so in a way, I considered this my little gem that I knew about that nobody else seemed to know about, at least in terms of my absolute assurity that it would win Best Picture. But how were you sure? As sure as I was that No Country for Old Men would best my favorite at the time director, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, which I thought was great. Daniel Day-Lewis is great. And the fact that those two, my favorite director and favorite actor combined, wouldn't win Best Picture over this, uh, this Coen Brothers film, I thought was crazy but absolutely certain there's no way that that there will be blood is a better film than no country for old men there's no way that 12 years a slave in my humble opinion is a worse film than gravity and had gravity won it would have been kind of an injustice as far as i'm concerned it's not something that hasn't happened at the oscars before but whatever i was pretty right. assured and thus justified when it actually did happen i was like yeah i called that and it was with a quiet sense of pride just in recognition of my ability to understand what they were trying to do what its successes were even what its failures were i mean they're going all out in the mud and screaming and crying and being terrible mm. it, for the sake mm. of art that was not meant to be enjoyed so much as it was to be mm -hmm. admired and reveled in as a courageous act, I guess, in service of Solomon Northup. I do think it's kind of sweet that you believe in justice in Hollywood and that somehow the, that the cream will rise to the top in terms of Oscars. It's kind of sweet, and I want to hold on to some some aspect of that hope that it isn't entirely about favoritism, nepotism, and commercialism. No, but but get but understand, please, that this is only for like, do awards mean anything? Do they mean that they're their best movie? No. But Steve McQueen, who was a relatively small director uh, before Twelve Years a Slave, now has the ability, based on that, to get other projects made. Being awarded only means that they acknowledge that these are quality, this is quality output, and that they will take a, a harder, closer look next time you want to fund something that may be risky uh, and not necessarily, you know, the most commercial thing. So let's talk about the film 12 Years a Slave. I have to say that the sadistic white slavers and their lackeys kind of started to blend together for me. Like, is Paul Dano really different from... Paul Giamatti or Michael Fassbender? I mean, not necessarily, just in their application of power, right? It seems like Freeman, at Paul Giamatti's character, knew what his power was. He His was absolute. It was all about money, and he didn't care. They were, you know, hey, jump and perform for this guy. Run in place or whatever. It was gross. So he kept smacking them in the chest. Like, that started to bother me. <laughs> but oh, but it, Paul Dano's um, Tibbets, Tibbets, yep. yeah. He was not a powerful guy. He was a scrawny little, not, he wasn't even an overseer, right? He was just a, he was a carpenter, I think. 
yep. architect, something like that. But he Carpenter. definitely reveled in what little power he had over the slaves. These are the only people he could command, whereas the other the other overseer guy could totally pull a gun on him and put him in his place. So he exercised that opportunity. I don't know that when uh, Freeman would finish dinner or whatever, he'd just go in and smack people. But it seems like that's something that uh, Tibbets would do. And so he was deliberately cruel when there was no cause for it. And that was just him trying to assert what little power he had as by, because of insecurity, because Solomon could propose the downriver transport of the wood, you know, and, and he's, you know, reacted badly. Like, I can't, I can't quote this movie. The only, why? Because just, I can't quote Tibbetts' response when he proposes the waterway for the logs. Because you can't use the N-word? Yeah. Arguably, the person... Who with with the least amount of power, the white person with the least amount of power is is arguably Armsby, who finds his own way to wield it. Yep. So I think you're onto something there. Leverages it, Garrett Dillahunt, uh, the white cotton picker, the hired hand who wasn't a slave but was in with the slaves, you know, for a day's wage. Because he had debts. Yep. And a problem with the drink. It's hard to believe that twelve years a slave. It's hard to believe that. Epps and subsequently Platt weren't really whipping her. Like you felt it so keenly, this, the crack of the whip and seeing the marks etched in her back. It's horrible to see. And and he's so violent and, and she's like gagging and passing out and stuff. And the rape stuff was all horrible. Like it's really difficult to be like, how could that be fun? <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o in her Oscar speech said this was the joy of my life. It's like, really? But taking this back to a filmmaking perspective, I mean, it's one of the rawest, grittiest scenes ever, and it's horrifying to watch. And I hear that Michael Fassbender had somebody paint uh, or paint his mustache with a paintbrush uh, with, with booze so that every time he screamed in someone's face, they could smell the booze on his breath. I do recall like flex like droplets like flying off of his mouth too yeah he's all so -like. committed to being horrible and even as an actor he's still screaming right in people's ears unless they did it unless he just mouthed it and they added the yelling in post he's like striker like right in Chirotel Ejiofor's ear and there's spit flying off his face and stuff and his mustache is covered in booze and he's running around chasing I did notice Platt. that didn't he jump over the fence and eat it like twice with a knife in his hand yeah, the first time he eats it in the pigsty, right? and then he eats it right outside of the pigsty. And that one, I definitely rewatched. I was like, dude, is that Michael Fassbender? It's one shot. I'm not sure that it was intentional. I mean, how do you do it that convincingly? I think he meant to hop the fence and <laughs> ate it, and they kept it because it's a great shot. And obviously, uh, athletic Michael Fassbender would keep in character. But the, but the point I was Ugh. making is that supposedly i don't know how true this is supposedly michael fassbender like passed out after one of the whipping takes or something but i do know that they had a thing he and lupita nyong'o who were kind of partners in this as horrible as the the epps and patsy relationship was the actors were friends you know and so they would like do this thing they called it making nice where they would hold each other's hands and look into each other's eyes and kind of connect for just a minute before he then had to do awful things to her and she had to scream and roll her eyes and oh my god and there's some and there's a lot of guilt. traumatizing there's a lot of guilt 
going around for just, you know, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio reportedly had a really hard time in Django Unchained, saying the N-word and et cetera. And there are, you know, things like violence and, and, and rape and assault and things like that. There oftentimes the actors will immediately finish the take and then apologize profusely as though they are, you know, the perpetrators of that act in real life, whereas they just Mm. feel the guilt of having to mimic it. I think there was a lot of that happening on 12 Years a Slave because it's very clear that people are treating other people horribly. Horribly. I'm sure there was tons of trauma to go around and lots of therapy to follow up the making of 12 Years a Slave. But I suppose the product justifies it because, as you said, this is the, the grittiest, rawest, most bleak kind of representation of historical reality. And one that has a rare, quote unquote, happy ending. Yeah, I guess not for Patsy. Certainly not for Patsy. And I had to think to myself, like, what? Like, t- please tell me that Solomon, you know, went went back for the one dude on the ship who was in a similar place for him and who didn't die right. and get thrown overboard. Re- reunited Eliza and her children. <laughs> please tell me that he came back for Patsy, like, after an experience like that. Well, I mean, and I and I I know from the coda that Northup had a spent the rest of his life in advocacy, even though his his ultimate end is unknown. Don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. but do know, unfortunately, that happy ending, as you called it, is him being taken back to his family and crying and hugging his grandchild and stuff. But no justice for the men who enslaved him. No justice for Freeman. No justice for Epps. No salvation for Patsy or uh, for Eliza and her children. Kind of sad and unresolved in a way. Well, it's a kind of injustice that there's just no resolution for. There really isn't. The Benedict Cumberbatch character was a good character who, you know, didn't want ill of his slaves, but was still a slaver and sold him to the worst slaver imaginable. Prides himself in being a, a slave breaker. And knew that willingly. So is he good? I, I don't know. But he's he's less, only because he's less reprehensible than Epps. In certain ways, but not in others. I mean, when it came down to it, it was still about the dollar, right? Benedict Cumberbatch's character, I forget what his name was, did not want to lose money on his debt. And still regarded, even though he respected Northup for his many talents, he still regarded him as being less than human. So I looked it up and it seems absurd to be able to adjust prices for inflation or for time to find out what a, what a human being is worth. But the indications point to the idea that the debt that Master Ford, over, over which he transferred ownership of Platt to Epps, was what eight hundred dollars? No, he bought her, him for a thousand, thousand, and Eliza for eight hundred, and that equates to somewhere between twenty-seven and thirty thousand dollars, which obviously in modern days is as a price not inconsiderable, but it because they were traded as commodities, like it's terrible and all that. But also, you know, if a if. <sighs> There's no way to justify it in a modern context. He says, surely you understand. Never said anything like, I swear to you that your debt will be repaid in full or anything if you just let me send a letter. But still, um, he said, you know, I cannot hear that. I, I cannot hear what you're telling me, regardless of, of its veracity, because he had a debt. And it was a considerable debt that he transferred to Edwin Epps. But is there a world where his character was wrong? 
for saying just because you have a story doesn't mean I'm going to be out 30 grand. I don't know. See, it's, I it's, mean, I guess in it's a, difficult. <laughs> it's it's difficult because there's a very American notion of like you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and help yourself. But not in the instance of someone who has no options. Yep. This this movie is like a perpetual game of bad or worse decisions. It's like the most horrible, traumatic, awful, nightmarish choose your own adventure. Where don't you didn't you find yourself constantly assessing what you would do? Absolutely. In Northup's situation at every turn? Yeah, question what he should have said. Whether he could appeal to Mistress Epps and say, you know, she's like, you ever, are you, I asked, basically asked him if he was educated. And he said a word here or there. And she's like, well, never mind, because you're here to work. Anymore, I'll earn you a hundred lashes. Could just say, yep. you know, I don't belong here. And he might have gotten whipped just for the audacity of contradicting his mistress or whatever. It's hard mm. to know because mm. your work, it's strategy, but he only has so many moves. And any one of them could result in death. And thus, the advice was true. Keep your head down. That is the only way to survive. The more you talk, the more you're going to get hurt and possibly dead. You know that that tree where they hanged those dudes in the film was an actual actual hanging tree surrounded by the graves Ugh. of slaves? Oh, my God. It's real. What I'm saying is, from a movie-making perspective, it's amazing to I, I, I don't know I, it's hard to explain I just the the sort of pounding pulsing clacking score that's so so uh, harrowing and then counterposed with the incredibly prolonged silent moments yeah. like I think in contrast with that what you're talking about I think the most profound moments were in silence namely when Northup is dangling from the tree like oh. trying to and and tiptoeing in the mud which you feel like is going to give out on him at any moment and then of course the moment after he's exposed himself to bass and in that kind of inexplicable quiet moment where he looks where he spikes the camera and you're like whoa you know you're so with it for a moment from a non-filmmaking perspective as an audience member are you even aware that he's breaking the fourth wall in that moment because that seems like a very weird shot right where it's just him for like a full minute and his eyes pan across the screen lands on us and then moves away and it's almost as though we're so much in his head we so much understand what that trouble the grimace uh, means that that it passes us by the signif the, the the technicality of that shot like i'm not entirely sure everybody noticed it was probably the best use of breaking the fourth wall that i've seen in a film where you're not He's looking at you, but you're not really there. It's not, and it's not about us. It's about, it's entirely about him and giving us that maybe extra angle of insight into his mind. I'm, I'd be curious to know what you projected onto that moment. Well, no, it was funny because it was like those comedies where you say something funny and then you wink at the camera. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. It was funny to you? <laughs> no, it wasn't funny. Wait, what? I'm saying that for a fourth wall break, it was meant to pierce directly into your soul. You understand no. what's happening. You and I are connected in this. You feel the pain. And I think you could say there's something in Solomon's story where he was, we can view this 
his perspective as a slave, as one who was subjected to slavery against his will, of course they all were, but to say that he was a free man who understood and tasted the various aspects of, of civility and had gone to Canada, was an accomplished fiddle player, I guess, and then to see him laid so low was, was tough. But that's not a new, you know, a new uh, thing in films. We often can identify with one person who goes through hardship and comes out the other end alive, but changed in scarred like Michael Douglas's The Game or whatever. But I, I feel like that moment didn't hit me quite the first time. You know, it's a, it's a precursor. It's the calm before the, the reckoning that happens when he's rescued. But we don't know that that's happening the first time we see it. It's stopping down after, you know, after Bass is the funeral, right? The Roll Jordan Roll funeral. And at that point, he is completely given up. He, it's not like yep. I'm one of them or whatever now. He just realizes that his position is as untenable as theirs, has no hope yep. for resolution at wow. that point. Starts to sing, sings his heart out, some emotionality comes through. Because like them, that is the point at which he can express his hurt, his anger, his frustration that he's kept bottled up for fear of being revealed for whom he was and punished for being a free man by Epps. And so that's this this quiet, introspective, like minute-long shot of him breaking the fourth wall just before he's rescued when we don't know he's being rescued is just him in the quiet and we're experiencing the storm in his brain. The storm with no end and no and no real hope for, you know, for 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 clear skies. That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> no, it was not so bad. Not only is it a testament to Chiwetel Ejiofor's performance, you know, I think that that minute might have been as valuable as Anne Hathaway's minute where she won the Oscar. Like, he should have won the Oscar for that moment. He, he wasn't even crying or choking or anything. He was just looking around. I can do that. But there's, but it's so much, but it's built upon so much more of his performance for over two hours in almost every scene. Right, which... Which is why I was going to say it's also such a testament to the filmmakers and specifically to Sir Steve McQueen because the movie is is masterfully paced to keep us from completely burning out. These these little micro scenes that he bakes in that almost work as interstitials are so, so powerful and are really important in terms of pacing and amazing moments of quiet that kind of break up the otherwise awful chaos and trauma of what the Northup character experiences. So we know your your rating is totally. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? If there was one word to describe 12 Years a Slave, probably powerful would be it. I was gut punched mm -hmm. on this level thematically, uh, artistically, creatively, technically. Um, this movie really carries you along, like you said, and you have these breathing moments, but it's labored, heavy breathing because we don't know where we're going. This is my kind of movie wherein I go in skeptical, maybe even a little bit concerned, and come out with a private sense of elation. Like, it's miraculous that these things are possible. And it may not be for everybody, but I can see the skill, talent, the dedication in execution. And it's something that I find hugely admirable and worthy of distinction and accolades and awards in a way that, I guess, a more conventional, typical moviegoer might not think is the best movie or the one that deserves to win because it's horrible, because it's hard to watch. But sometimes that horror is necessary and the risk is worth taking. 
risk has been a theme in this discussion, and I'd add to it bravery, care, and commitment on behalf of the filmmakers are what really make 12 Years a Slave special. And I'm happy that it was recognized in 2013 and available for us to review and discuss today. Available on HBO Max, Best Picture winner from 2013, although I think it won in 2014. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this discussion, even if the subject matter is hard. And we'll see you next time. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.